Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Howard Thurman, Prophetic Witness, a Doctor of Ministry track from Wesley Theological Seminary. This track focuses on the power of a prophetic witness like Howard Thurman's to draw people toward a positive new future. Learn more and apply now for May 2024 at wesleyseminary.edu slash doctor of ministry. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. Is your leadership so preoccupied with strategies and actions that you've lost sight of the ultimate why? In this episode, Elaine Robinson shares her belief that God's love must ground every aspect of the church's mission, and love must be the foundational principle of all Christian leadership. I'm Ann Michael. I'm a senior consultant with the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary, and I'm pleased to be your host for this episode of Leading Ideas Talks. My guest today is Dr. Elaine Robinson, who's a professor of Methodist Studies and Christian Theology at St. Paul School of Theology, and she's the author of a new book called Leading with Love, Spiritual Disciplines for Practical Leadership. Uh, We're so glad that you're joining us today, Elaine. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So your book is grounded in a really profound yet simple premise that the fundamental principle of Christian leadership must be love. Um, That is such an obvious point, really, but it is a point that is so often missing from other discussions of church leadership. Um, And so I wanted to ask, why do you think that is? Why why do we not focus more on love as a, a main point in leadership discussions? It's a great question, and I think in some ways it begins with the idea that leadership is action, right? To lead is to act, and so we begin with this idea of of the how. How do we do this? Uh, What are the tips? What are the techniques? What are the ways that I can be effective in leadership? But, you know, if you think about the church, it is the most unique kind of leadership that we will ever face. Uh, We have a why that is different from every other human organization that we might lead. And our why has something to do with God's mission in the world, something to do with the command that Jesus gives us to love God and to love others. And so when I get students who come in and they just want me to tell them, how can I be an effective leader? I'm always about, we have to know our why first. Why are we leading? Because we should be leading God's people uh, deeper into love. God is love. That's our calling is to become love. And so I actually talk about the church as being a laboratory for love. And our leadership, our leadership has to be about that why if the how 
is really going to serve God's mission in the world. Thank you for that point. I sometimes talk about the importance of why as being a really fundamental uh, thing that we need to ground our leadership in. And, and you've taken us back to the ultimate why. So that's, um, thank you for that. Um, I wondered if you might, to help our listeners understand this, um, give an example of how leading of love, leading with love might be different from other ways that we might approach leadership. So leading with love is about having a mindset and a skill set that fits the 21st century in part. So if I'm leading with love, I'm developing emotional intelligence, for example, where I am not only thinking about what I want and you know what I expect to happen, but I'm also thinking about what that other person loves, who that other person is. So I'll give a, a simple kind of example. Okay. We had uh, some, uh, well, before the pandemic, we had a handbell choir at the church. Now, I'm also a pastor uh, as well as a professor. And another church came to us very recently and asked if they might purchase our handbells. Since the pandemic, we don't have the handbell director anymore. We don't have a choir. We haven't played that music. And I knew that I couldn't just say, yes, let's sell these. Uh, that in fact, I had to go to uh, members of the church, former members of the handbell choir, leadership in the church and ask, what if, what if we did this? But I also knew the first response would be, no, we can't sell the handbells. Now, every leader in a church is going to understand this. That's exactly, but that's the way the brain works. The first thing the brain will do is relate to past experiences and relate to emotional content. So they're remembering uh, being with their now transitioned parents. They're remembering a wonderful Christmas. They're remembering all these things that say, oh, I have to keep the handbells. But if I'm patient and I say, I hear you, I hear that there are a lot of things associated with those handbells that you really love. They will then allow their cortex to begin to process and to think and once they're able to, to take a step back, then they can say, you know what? It probably glorifies God more to be using the handbells. Maybe we should sell them. But if I interrupt them at that point where they're having their emotional content, then they're probably going to get stuck there because I'm pushing back. But if my love realizes the connections that this handbell choir has for them, then I can give it the space and the time for them to say, okay, I love this, but mm -hmm. my mind knows it might be the right time. 
Yeah, and I really appreciated in your book how, I mean, you mentioned emotional intelligence, but you really do talk a lot about um, how people process things, how the brain works, at being sensitive to all of those things, that that's part of the emotional intelligence of leading. Um, you mentioned already that your book isn't really about the how, it's not about tactics and strategies, um, uh, whereas so many other leadership books are. Um, your book really steps back from that and takes a look at a series of principles or practices that can, um, the way I understood it, it's, it's trying to help a leader open their mind and expand their worldview, um, maybe helping them to see the world through God's eyes or to use scriptural language to have the same mind in them that was in Christ Jesus. Um, so I wondered if you might just name a few of those practices that you explore in the book um, and, and talk about why they're important so our listeners understand what it is that you're, you're talking about. Yeah, well, uh, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, that's where Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. And there is this idea that I work with in, in this book that says uh, all of us as human beings, we see partially. And often we're only seeing out of our own lenses and experiences. And so to take on the mind of Christ is to move us beyond sort of my way, my desire, my likes, my this, my that, and into a much more holistic perspective where we're able to see also through the eyes of others and the way they've been formed and the things that matter to them. So if we want to grow into sort of the mind of Christ, then there are certain practices that we do need to take on as leaders. Uh, and the first being what I call deep listening, which is kind of an, an ancient Christian practice of uh, stopping our thinking and stopping our feeling and just opening ourselves to hear from God, to listen to God. Uh, I am reminded when I study and read the prophets that what goes wrong is always that they're not listening to God. The prophet always says, if you would only listen, you would be healed. And so I think given the world we live in today, how noisy it is, how, how much uh, background noise there always is, that we need to find ways to be still and know that God is God. We need to be still and listen. And out of that, being able to listen to God uh, really comes a number of other practices. Uh, I will point to a second one, which is growing. Uh, so often uh, when we're in leadership, we find that, that our people have gotten stuck. They think there's only this way to do church. Uh, and, and you'll hear so often that, uh, you know, my people don't want to change. Well, part of that, I think, is because we haven't helped them to see that growing is a basic principle that God has put into the whole of creation. And so I have uh, this chapter about what it means to grow, what it means to uh, teach our people uh, beyond the, you know, uh, childhood biblical stories to a deeper understanding and a deeper engagement of God in the world. So those are just two 
of the the principles that I'm putting out there. Yeah, I, I really love the way you um, framed the idea of growth um, and change itself as a spiritual imperative. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, so many churches struggle with the notion of change and, and to put that frame around it um, really is helpful. Um, I was struck as I read your book that um, in some ways it's, I'm not surprised that you're a, a professor of Christian theology because it, it seemed to me as a, as a um, systematic theology of Christian personhood really uh, uh, that focuses on some of the basics of what it means to live in a relationship with God and with Jesus and with our neighbors in authentic ways. And, you know, it, it seems like those things are relevant in the life of all believers. And yet this is a leadership book. And so it caused me to wonder um, in your way of understanding leadership, what is leadership and who's a leader? It's a great question. Uh, for me, leadership, if you, if you read uh, authors who write on church leadership, let's just take Love at Wings for one, uh, there's always this idea of a faithful next step. And I do think it's always about where we're going and not where we've been. But for me, church leadership or leading any kind of faith community is about faithful and hopeful attention, paying attention to grow into God's promised future as it draws near in this time and place. Now, I do gear the book toward uh, pastors, toward the shepherds of the flock, because if they are not growing in love, then they can't model and bring others mm -hmm. along. And so this, because I teach leadership courses to seminarians, this is really important to me uh, that our, our pastors learn, hey, le leading requires us to uh, be growing in love ourselves. But I think you're absolutely right that this is true of all Christians, that if we're on this journey and on this path, whoever is still growing behind us in a way of metaphorically speaking, we should be leading them. Our love should be infectious. Our love should be leading others to want to follow Christ as well. So while I do focus on leaders, I think it does have a lot of application for anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned Love at Weems and the idea of paying attention. He often talks about paying attention as a spiritual discipline. Um, you know, I think when many of us hear the term spiritual discipline, we think of prayer or fasting or labyrinth walking or scripture reading or perhaps giving or these, these um, actions that are undertaken perhaps as an act of piety. Um, but you seem to have a more practical and um, basic understanding of what a spiritual discipline is. A lot of the practices that you discuss are um, very organic, really, and I think holistically entwined with how we learn to apprehend the world and others. And so um, since the title of the book talks about spiritual practices, how do you, how do you define a spiritual discipline and, and what is it that makes the practices um, in your book spiritual? 
So if we look at what spirituality is, uh, for uh, a lot of authors, Ron Rollheiser, Barbara Brown Taylor, mm -hmm. it's about longing or desire. I think that longing or desire is just what leads us into spiritual practice. But spirituality itself is uh, really about God's love growing and living in us and overflowing into the world. It's about becoming complete. It's about being whole as God has created us in the whole of creation to be. You know, if I use uh, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, when Paul is talking about being rooted and grounded in God, rooted and grounded in love so that we might uh, be filled with the fullness of God, we have to find ways and practices that open us to God that open us to listen, to pay attention. So I absolutely believe in uh, fasting and reading scripture and prayer in all of these disciplines, but not so much. And, and this is where uh, I think we sometimes miss the mark. We make spiritual practices about me, about mm. what I'm feeling, about what I'm experiencing, but that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is once we were broken and, and separated, but in and through Christ, we become one, we become related. And so uh, spiritual practice should lead us into love. Now, let me say this. Love is always a relational quality. You can't have love without the beloved. And so the more we love, the more reconciliation and relationship is happening. In other words, our spiritual practices are opening us to God so that we might become more related and filled with love in the whole of creation. That's how it's, uh, it's a lofty kind of wow thing, but yeah. ultimately that's what God is at work doing. Right, right. And I, I, I think what that's what's so refreshing about your book is that it, it really puts it in, in that perspective. I, I have to confess, I've often struggled with um, spiritual, what, what people call spiritual disciplines, because I think I, for a long time, was thinking it's about doing the thing, and not the fact that it, the whole purpose of it is to um, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. It's not, it's, it's not the action, it's what, you know, what it allows you to do. And, and that was really a breakthrough for me. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people in churches just think, okay, it's about I have to do these things and don't understand the why. Again, going back to your why. Exactly. It's actually about me getting out of myself mm -hmm. and into that network of relationships. If it's all about me and what's happening to me, then I am not living the gospel. Right. Because the gospel is a us or we. Mm -hmm. It's being related to God and to others. Right. And, and for the benefit of our listeners, one of the chapters in your book is about the idea of connecting with your neighbors, connecting with your community as a spiritual discipline in, in the exact way that you've just been describing. Um, so in the conclusion of your book, you wrote something that caught my attention. You said that it's not our job to save the church. The only true standard of our success is if we're leading with love. Um, I think it's 
that it probably doesn't feel that way to a lot of church leaders this day, um, these days. And so I wanted to give you a chance to unpack um, your belief that um, I believe you said we cannot fail if we're truly leading in love. Um, and so how, how is it that you see that um, in leading in love, we can find that hopeful, faithful future for the church? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is that the church is, is intended not to be simply an institutional human reality. Uh, when uh, I talk uh, to my congregation about the church, I'm always saying, but the church has to have spiritual roots. This body of Christ is rooted and grounded in the spirit if it is of God rather than just of humans. And if we look historically, we know that the church is always recreating itself. And we are probably in uh, an era of uh, reformation in some ways. Things are changing. So if we are leading with love, if we are being filled with God's love, if we are listening to, to God, if we are teaching our people to love those who are beyond the walls of the church, it may not end up looking like what we expect. This is the church, but God's ecclesia will still be thriving in the world. Uh, and this is to say, I, I like to say, Jesus didn't give us a blueprint for the church. There is no one way of being church and as long as the point is that we are helping people become healed and whole by God's love and pouring that love out into the world, then we are doing God's mission as the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you've mentioned that you wrote this book primarily for an audiences of pastors or perhaps for others in positions of leadership, but to begin to draw this to a close, uh, I wondered, it seems as if the practices that you describe are also community practices. They're, they're not just for an individual leader. And um, you talked about how a leader might model it, but um, what are some steps that a leader might take to encourage the whole community of faith uh, to be more deliberate in some of the practices that you um, discuss, such as you know, deep listening or connecting with the community or learning to love yourself so you can love others. Um, uh, how, might, how might the whole church take on some of those practices? Well, uh, there's a lot that's going on in the book, for sure. And uh, to just sort of say here do all of these things i think might be overwhelming mm -hmm. but uh, uh there's one thing i want to say first and that is none of us is ever really the leader jesus is really the leader right. even even the pastor should be following jesus just a little closer and a little better at listening to where jesus might want to go but begin slowly, introduce slowly. I have been introducing these uh, practices, uh, these principles in my congregation for six years now. And it, it's, it's 
helping them grow. You have to, to know how far can you take these people, faithful people at this time. Uh, I tell my students, leading a church is more like steering an ocean liner than a speedboat. If you turn too quick, you're going to tip the thing over. And so you have a sense of uh, God leading by stages as God leads the people through the wilderness that you you begin here. You begin with, with love. You begin with reminding them of the spirituality of the church. And as some of this begins to take root, then you can introduce more and more pieces of this. And so this is a long-term project. It, yeah. it, it's, it's a lifetime of work to learn to love and to lead with love. Mm -hmm. But as you said earlier, it begins with taking that first faithful step. And so I, I think that you give a lot of examples in your book of, of it really is a progression. Uh, I think the way that you lay the subjects out in the book. So it, it does give people a sense of, of how they could begin. Um, Elaine, I want to thank you. I found your book so refreshing uh, because of its because of its emphasis on sort of basic spiritual um, uh, the basic spiritual underpinnings of, of leadership uh, that's so often missing in the other literature of church leadership. And so I really, really appreciated your book. I'm grateful that you've taken the time to talk to us today. Uh, and thank you so much. And thank you. This has really been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.